If you don't have one yet, go grab the Bible off the back table because we will use them tonight. Who can tell me what book we started studying last week? Thank you. I try to make it so easy for you guys. I really do. Galatians. So we're going to do this. You guys know. When we do a book of the Bible, we walk through questions because it's important to know what you're studying um, so you know what's going on. So let me ask you some of the questions. Who wrote the book of Galatians? Paul. Paul. (laughs) Paul wrote the book of Galatians. All right. When when do we believe it was written? Very long time ago. Give me some years. I heard somebody saying it. Yeah, around 49 to 54 A.D. is when we believe this was written. Um, who was it written to? Oh, wait, wait, oh, what did you say? The churches in Galatia. Remember, this, this is not a letter written to one specific church. Galatia was a region. It was a, a Roman province, and there were multiple churches there. So this is a letter that would have circulated around these churches in this area. All right. Um, What is the main idea of this book? Always Jesus, yes. But specifically what I told you last week. What's that? Well, that's, you're getting to the next question. Why was he writing this book to warn them against false teachers that's absolutely right but do you remember what the main idea of the book is salvation by faith alone that's it right there that goes hand in hand as to why he wrote this book because remember there were false teachers who were coming into these churches and they were teaching things they were teaching the gospel of jesus but then they were adding to the gospel they were saying hey if you want to experience salvation you've got to trust in jesus but you've also got to hold on to some of these traditional jewish rituals or these traditional jewish laws so they were saying it's it's jesus and and Dalton got it right no it's it's just jesus period. Make sure I say it right. It's just Jesus. It's salvation by faith alone. And if you read through Paul's writings, you'll find multiple times where that is what he's addressing to the churches that he writes to. He's addressing this idea of false teachers because Paul has a heart and a mission to make sure that people understand what the gospel of Jesus is because when you hear it, when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in your own life, it will change your life and it will change your eternity. And in this passage tonight, what we find Paul doing, we're going to be in verses 10 through 24, we find Paul basically giving his testimony. And if you're not sure what that word means, that means he's telling people his Jesus story. He's telling them about what his life was like before he met Jesus, how he encountered Jesus, and what God has done in his life since that time. That's what we call a testimony. If you've ever seen anybody get baptized on a Sunday, you've heard them answer those three things. They're talking about what God has done in their life. And Paul, who is, who is a pillar of the early church, the guy who is going through and planting these different churches, in his defense of trying to make sure that these churches understand he's someone they should listen to, He's telling them where he heard the gospel. He's telling them who he was before he met Jesus. And he's telling them what God has done in his life now. And I want to challenge you. As we walk through this tonight, as we see those different things playing out, I want you to think about your own Jesus story. As you look at the way Paul explains what happened in his life, I want you to ask yourself, do I have a story like that? 
Now, obviously, it's not going to look just like Paul's. The same things haven't happened to you that happened to him. The way God worked in his life aren't necessarily the ways God's working in your life. But do you have a Jesus story? Do you have a testimony of when you met Jesus Christ and he changed your life? And if you don't, pay attention to Paul's. So we're going to walk through verses 10 through 24. I'm going to ask Mr. Garrett Davis to come on up here and read for us tonight. Let's turn on... Ashlyn's microphone, please. There we go. Good, good job. Stand, please, in honor of reading of God's word like we do every single week. I'm sorry. I should have done that first. Y'all didn't know what to do. Stand up, and uh, you take that and read away for us. Okay. For do I now persuade men, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's wound, and called it, my, and called it by my grace, uh, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abide with him fifteen days but other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother now the things which I write unto you behold before God I lie not Afterwards, I came into the regions of Sahara and Sicilia, and was unknown by the face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed, and the, glory, and the glorified God in me. Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that uh, we can read this tonight, Lord. And, and even though this was written to people so long ago, God, to know that it has something to do with us. Lord, help us to be different because we've been in your word and been in your presence tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Garrett. Y'all give it up for Garrett. You did a good job, man. All right. So, we start there in verse 10. And, and what we see at the very beginning is, is Paul is asking what we call a rhetorical question. Do y'all know what a rhetorical question is? Okay, okay, hold on. Let me, let me read this verse. Verse 10 says this. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he's asking this rhetorical question. For those of you that don't know what that means, that is a question that someone asks that they don't really expect you to give them an answer to. It's kind of like this. If you've ever gotten in trouble with your parents and they've been really upset with you and they look at you and they say, what in the world were you thinking? They're probably not really expecting an answer from you because by the time they ask that question they have already decided that you weren't thinking when you did whatever you did and that's why you did whatever you did that's what a rhetorical question is and that's what Paul's doing here he's asking this question but then he's turning around and he's answering that exact same question and he's working to prove his point he's saying hey it is not possible to try to please people and to please God he's saying those two things 
can't happen at the same time because they're what we call mutually exclusive. It means they cannot happen together. You're either doing one, you're either trying to please people, trying to please man, or you're trying to please God, but they can't both be a reality at the same time. In fact, let me save you some stress right now, okay? You will never be able to make all the people around you happy all the time at the same time. That's, that's a good life lesson. If you haven't learned that yet, pick it up right now. You will never be able to please all of the people around you all at the same time because people are what is called fickle. Do y'all know what fickle means? It means they can't make up their minds. It means they'll be happy about something one minute and then they'll be complaining about something the next. It's kind of like this. How many of you in here have a job? Show of hands. How many of you, when you got that job, you were excited, you had a job, you're going to make money, you're going to get to buy stuff? Okay. Now, how many of you since that day have complained about that job that you have to go to that you don't want to go to? People are fickle. We can't make up our minds. That's, exa- that's the problem. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, you can't please people because if all you're trying to do is please people, first of all, people can't be made happy. They'll be happy for a little while, but then they'll change and, and they'll want something else. So you can try to make them happy, which you're not going to be able to do, or you can try to please God. Because he says it's not possible to do both of those things. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that if your goal is to please the people around you, you're probably not pursuing God. You're probably not doing what God wants you to do with your life if you're more focused on what the people around you want to do with your life. And that's what Paul is saying here. If he's seeking to please people, he can't please God. And yet, pleasing people is what his whole former life was about. Before he met Jesus, that is all Paul was trying to do. He did it under the guise of, I'm serving God in his church. But if you listen to his testimony as we walk through this, you find out very quickly all of the things that he throws out are things that gave him status symbol with people, not with God. He goes on here and he says in verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is still kind of defending himself as he gives his testimony here. He's reminding these people here, and he's reminding us, he did not hear the gospel of Jesus from a person. Someone who could take the truth of it and change it. But he heard it from Jesus himself. I think about it like this way. Have you ever known somebody in your life who tells a story? And then the next time they tell the story, you hear details that you didn't hear the first time. And then the next time they tell the story, you hear a couple more details you didn't hear the first two times. That story changes. Not that they're like lying, but they just, they add more to it. I am, I am notorious with Miss Kathleen for doing this because she'll ask me about something and say, what happened? And I'll tell her what happened. And then she'll start asking questions and I'll tell her something else that happened and then something else that happened. It's not that you're trying to be deceptive, it's just your brain remembers different things at different times. You've got to ask specific questions, right? Yeah, you've got to pry it out of people. That's exactly right. Because that's the way some people are. But Paul is saying, hey, I didn't get it from somebody like that. Because if you take the gospel and you put it through people, every single time you give it enough time, something's going to change. Something's going to be added Something's going to be different than what it was originally. And that's why he's saying right here, he's saying, I got it from Jesus Christ himself. So you can trust what I'm saying. 
And as he does that, it's a good reminder of something that I told you guys last week. Anytime somebody talks to you about God or about Jesus or about the Bible, you don't need to take their word for it. You need to go straight to the source because this comes from God himself. People have messed this up. This is something that can be trusted. And Paul is saying, you can trust what he's saying because his words came from Jesus Christ himself. And this is the word of God that we have that we know came from God himself. So anytime somebody talks to you about any of those things, go to the source. And Paul is saying, I went to the source. In fact, he says, the source came and found me. And then he goes on here in verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former life, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is who Paul was before he knew Jesus. It says he was, he was violently persecuting the church. In fact, this word here um, where he says, my former life of Judaism, that use, the, the early use of that word was in connection to what is referred to as a militant zeal to protect what was a distinctively Jewish way of life. If you don't understand what a militant zeal is, let me put it this way. How many of you know a football fan? Just in general, anybody know a football fan? Okay, keep your hands up. I want to see how many go down. How many of you know a football fan that has like full gear of their favorite football team? I'm talking hat, shirt, maybe socks. I mean, they, they like, they love their football team. Okay. Hands still up. How many of you know a football fan that refuses to miss a minute of a game when their team is playing? Okay, still, man, y'all know some fanatics here. All right. How many of you know a football fan that has like posters on their walls and like their kids' little first little onesie was the football team onesie and, and like everything in the world is their football team? Okay, that would be considered a militant zeal right there. All right, you can put your hands down. That's, that's what that looks like, only Paul took it further than that. Paul didn't just go all out to make sure that Judaism was something that was alive and well. Paul went to the point of persecuting the church that he thought was against it. He got letters that gave him permission to go arrest people and throw them in jail. It's possible some people lost their lives because of this. His goal was to wipe out Christianity. That's what it's talking about. When he writes, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church and violently tried to destroy it. It was an intentional pursuit of Jewish law and customs to the extreme that he was persecuting anybody that didn't hold that same view. And he writes right there in verse 13 how he was persecuting the church and violently working to destroy it. And then in verse 14, he talks about how he was seeking to please man instead of God. Remember that question he started with at the beginning? Am I seeking to please man or am I seeking to please God? If I seek to please man, I can't please God. Now he's going to tell us how he was pleasing man. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. 
Now, in the book of Philippians, he explains a little bit more what he means by advancing in Judaism. He gives a little bit of his background in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying, this is who I was before I knew Jesus. These are the things that Paul was pursuing. And every one of those things are things that gave him status with people. They didn't give him status with God. They gave him status with people because he was seeking to please man. He was seeking to do the things. Now, he did it in the name of God, but it's not God that he was pursuing. He was pursuing other people's approval because this is not what God was looking for. What happened is Paul had fallen into legalism. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, I I will say this. Legalism almost always starts as an attempt to honor God with your life. But then what happens is you stop worrying so much about honoring God with your own life, and you start worrying about whether or not everyone else is honoring God with their lives. And you begin to point out where they're failing God in your own opinion. And that's where we get into legalism. And that's what was happening with Paul. He was looking around him and saying, hey, you're not living up to the standard of Jewish law and tradition. You're not doing the things you're supposed to do in order to be right with God. He was being legalistic, and because of it, he was going after the early church. And that is exactly where God found Paul, but that is not where God left Paul. Look at verse 15. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother." Stop there for a second and look at verse 15. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Paul didn't meet Jesus until the time he was supposed to meet Jesus. God had already determined when Paul was going to encounter Jesus and hear the gospel. And when that time happened, Paul came face to face with his own shortcomings. He came face to face with the failed effort he had to do a whole lot of things for God. He came face to face with his own sin because he came face to face with Jesus Christ. And scripture tells us in that moment, his life and his eternity were changed forever. And Paul says, this is the work of God. This wasn't the work of Paul. This wasn't the work of any other man because remember, Paul didn't get the gospel from another human being. He got it directly from Jesus Christ. He is making sure that these people understand God is the one that spoke to him. God is the one that changed his life. And don't miss what it says in verse 16. He says, it was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul tells us right here that he was saved for a specific purpose. God saved him to go preach to the Gentiles. If you don't know what that means, in the Old Testament, the first part of this book that we have is the Bible. God's focus was on the nation.
Israel, the Jewish people. And God spent time. He made a covenant with them. He said, you are my people and I am your God. And then when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus began to talk to the Jewish people and Jesus began to spread the gospel. And then when Jesus started recruiting the people that he had and he gets to Paul, what happens is there's a transition. Now God is not just focused on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, but he's focused on everyone else too. That's what Gentiles means. It means people who aren't born of a Jewish heritage, Jewish nationality. Paul says, I was saved for the specific purpose to go preach to the people who aren't Jewish. God saved him for a purpose because God already had a plan for the rest of humanity. He already had a plan for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to receive the gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul does. That's what he talks about in these next couple verses. He begins to travel in these verses 17 through 19. That references some of the travels that he had. You could actually go to, and this is where I love that scripture backs up scripture. If you go to Acts chapter 9, we're not going to read it right now, but write this down. If you go to Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 27, that is where you find out exactly what he's talking about in verses 17 through 19 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul is preaching for a while before having any contact with the other apostles. So the guys he's talking about, he's talking about, um, he's talking about James, the brother of Jesus, and he's talking about this guy named Cephas. Does anybody know what that other guy's name is? Peter. And if you don't know who Peter is, he's the guy that walked on water with Jesus, took his eyes off of him, began to sing. He's the guy when Jesus was being arrested, drew a sword and cut off a guard's ear. He's the guy that when Jesus was being tried, and three different people said, hey, aren't you with him? Peter said, no, I'm not. That's the guy he's talking about. That guy who's now a leader in the early church who is going around and teaching and planting churches here. He's saying, I didn't see really any of these guys. They didn't influence what I was doing because I was doing what God had called me to do. We see in these few short verses very specifically that Peter, or excuse me, Paul was saved from his sin on purpose for a purpose. And maybe you've heard that phrase before because it's one that's true. Because God had a plan to use his life to impact other people with the gospel and it was a specific purpose for his life and it was true for Paul and it's true for you and I. If you have understood the gospel, if you have understood that Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life, gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, because scripture tells us we can't pay that penalty. We're not perfect. We're not holy, but God is. And Jesus is God in the flesh, and he paid the penalty we could not pay. He gave his life. Scripture says that God made him sin who knew no sin. That means in that moment, he experienced every, every consequence of sin for every single person that has ever or will ever live. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like experiencing the consequences of my sin. I can't imagine every other person in humanity. When you've understood what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, and you ask him to forgive you, and you put your faith and your trust in him, scripture tells us in that moment, you are saved. You are sealed by God for eternity. And when he saves you, he has a reason for it. He has a purpose for your life. And you may not know what that is right now, and that's okay. 
But as you begin to read God's word and as you study God's word and you see who it is he's called you to be, you begin to, defi- to, to, to find out what that purpose is. And you begin to pursue him and you pursue that purpose and then you get to start seeing how God is working in and through you the same way he does with Paul. He goes on here and he says this in verse 20. He says, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Remember, he's still defending himself against these false teachers. And then verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Paul defends himself right there. And then as he continued to travel in verses 21 and 22, he brings something very important to our attention. What he shows us here is that he was unknown personally to these churches that he went to. In fact, look at what he writes in the last two verses. Verse 23, it says, They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul's reputation had preceded him. But that reputation is no longer of one that's persecuting the church. Now he's known as the one who's preaching the gospel for the church. His life has changed and people are hearing about it. So much so that verse 24 tells us right there that they were glorifying God because of Paul's story. Don't miss the significance of what Paul has done in this passage. He shared his testimony. He's talked about who he was someone who persecuted the church, someone who tried to wipe out the Christian faith. He talks about how he encountered Jesus at the appointed time for the purpose of what God was saving him for. And then he talks about what God has done in him from that time until now when he's writing this letter. Paul has just shared his story and because of it, God is praised for who he is and what he has done. So I challenged you guys to think about something when we started. Can you tell somebody your Jesus story? Are you able to articulate those three things in your life? To know who you were before you encountered Jesus Christ? What is it that God saved you from? What is that moment? When is that time? Maybe you don't know the specific day and time and that's okay, but you know you had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he's changed you. What does that look like? And what has God done in your life since then? How has he grown you? What is he teaching you? What has he done in and through you in the lives of others? So my challenge for you guys is to stop and think, can you tell your Jesus story? Because I'm telling you this right now. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you have one and it's gonna look different from anybody else in this room. There's some people in this room, I've heard, their, I've heard their story and they were people who were way far from God and then God got a hold of their life and now they're pursuing him with everything they have. Me, you want to know my story? I grew up in church. Literally. I was there from before the time I could walk in the nursery in the same church like many of you my entire life until I got married, moved away from home. And, and I knew the stories about God. I could sing the songs. I went to all the vacation Bible schools. We didn't have awesome stuff like Dean Al, so I'm glad y'all have that. But we did all of the church things. And I was 14 years old before I finally realized I needed Jesus. And I remember, it was 1990, I'm old, yes. 
do the math. It was Valentine's Day, 1990. And my youth pastor came to my house and shared the gospel with me, a gospel that I had heard I don't know how many times in my life. But for some reason, that day, it clicked. And I understood my sin. And I understood my need for a savior. And I can look back now and I can see what God has done in my life. Did I do a whole lot of bad stuff before I got saved? No. Did God do a miracle in my life? You better believe it. And it's the same in yours if you've put your faith and trust in him. Do you have a Jesus story tonight? If you do, that's an amazing thing. Share it with people. Tell anybody that will listen what God has done in your life. And be excited about it. Because if you're not excited about it, why should they be? But if you're here tonight and you don't have a Jesus story, you can't remember a time at all in your life where you knew that you needed to be saved from your sin and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in that moment knew that you belong to him now and forever. My question is, what's stopping you? What's holding you back? If you're here tonight and you don't have a Jesus story, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. When we stand up, when we sing this last song, if you're ready to do something about that tonight so that you can know that you belong to God for eternity and you know that God has saved you for a purpose and you are ready for that, come talk to me or come talk to one of the other adults in the room because we would love to be a part of your Jesus story and show you what it looks like to trust him and follow him. That's my prayer for everyone in here tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know you, that we can trust you. God, I thank you for what you did in my life so many years ago. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room right now. God, there's some in here. God, they know you. God, they've put their faith and trust in you, God. And I pray right now, God, that you'll give them the courage to tell people about what you've done in their lives. But God, if there's anybody in here tonight that doesn't have a Jesus story, God, I pray that you'll show them their desperate need for one right now. Show them how much you love them, God. Show them that you do have a purpose for them the way that you've done that for the rest of us in this room who have made that choice. God, show them what an incredible journey it'll be. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.